Welcome back to Coaching Kern in Episode 4. It's June 7, 2022. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your host, former professional baseball player, college head coach, current MLB and NBA analyst. And I'm joined by my co-host, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan, Hall of Famer, author, 47 years with the New York Post and in the industry, a tremendous college baseball player in his own right. Kevin always gives us a unique baseball experience through his baseball experiences. You can find him on Ball9.com. Two phenomenal stories a week. We'll touch on both of those today a little bit. You can also find him on Twitter at AMBS underscore Kernan, K-E-R-N-A-N. You can now add world-famous podcaster to his tagline. In three consecutive weeks now, we have exceeded the previous week's downloads and listens. We're on pace to enter the top 20% globally, entering our fourth week with podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at David D'Agostin, D-A-V-I-D, D-A-G-O-S-T-I-N, 16. We're starting to compile lots of Twitter followers now. Or you can search Coach and Kernan. You can find Kevin again on Twitter at AMBS underscore Kernan. You can also stream us by searching Coaching Kernan on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and now iHeartRadio. Please download, listen, follow, subscribe, and like us. Give us five stars. You can communicate us with us on email, coachingkernan at protonmail.com. Week three, we received again over 500 emails following our podcast, asking specific questions on what we talked about, plus on items that we're going to want to talk about this week and next week. Those emails are very important to us. It helps guides our show. Of those emails, we always select four, and we'll respond to those on our Clubhouse segment coming up in a bit. Every person that emails, you get a response. So please don't hesitate to email because of the high volume. We will get you your response. With just one Twitter account and five streaming platforms, we've touched New Zealand, the U.S., obviously, South Africa, Russia, the Dominican Republic, Spain, Qatar, Colombia, Brazil, and we've added India now to our listener base. All right. We want to thank our sponsor, One-on-One, Pathway to College Athletic Scholarships, 542 scholarships as of today, basketball, baseball, softball, in the last 24 months. Please follow them on Twitter as well, at One-on-One, Your Shot on One, and Instagram, One-on-One, Your Shot on Your Terms. The program is designed to make the parents the first educator in the college recruiting process. Kevin, good morning and welcome back to the South. I know you had a full day trek back from New Jersey. Entering week four, you've delivered, as promised, building better baseball IQs for for baseball people and providing a baseball experience through yours and our baseball experiences alone. Could you remind our audience a little bit about what we're about? Share a little bit about what you've been up to. You had two phenomenal articles come out on ball9.com. One about pitching and one about Yogi Berra and D-Day. And I'd like to do that before we introduce our resident experts. Yeah, I'll make it quick. Uh, yeah, it's been a busy time. Uh, nothing like driving straight through from uh, northern New Jersey down to, to uh, northern Florida. But it was fun. Had a great time great visiting family, grandkids. And real quickly on the two articles, D-Day came around. I wanted to do something on D-Day because... Um, you know, the, the way the media is now, they kind of forget things like this. 78th anniversary, greatest generation, what these guys did. So I put a call in. And again, it's all about like our show. It's about relationships. So I put a call in, got a hold of Larry Burra, Yogi's son. He got right back to me. We had an unbelievable conversation because Yogi was in D-Day. He was on a rocket boat and he uh, machine gun on a rocket boat with a six-man crew basically sending rockets onto the beach and uh, protecting uh, 
the soldiers landing. He got wounded. Um, uh, but here's the important thing, you know, like all those, and my father was World War II veteran. Uh, those guys didn't say much. And, and Larry told me Yogi opened up only one time after they went to see Saving Private Ryan. And he talked about what that day was like to some degree. But more importantly, he talked about the next couple of days where they had to pick up the bodies out of, out of the water. And that left a lifelong uh, memory, uh, you know, and, and Yogi was a great hero. Bob Feller did not know Yogi was in um, World War II. There's one time Bob Felder, who was, by the way, in, in the Navy, my father ran into him one or two times too as well. Um, it, it, this is after the war. Yogi's playing for the Yankees, and Bob Felder wouldn't say hello. And uh, one of the Yankee pitchers went up to Bob and said, hey, Bob, what's up? Why aren't you saying hello to Yogi? And he said, um, I don't say hello to uh, men of that age who didn't, who weren't in the in, in the military. And and the Yankee pitcher told him, he goes, no, Yogi Yogi was in the Navy and he was at D-Day. And from that point on, where Bob Feller and Yogi became great friends. Bob Feller's Act of Valor uh, um, uh, Foundation plus Yogi Bear Musician, Museum found uh, had a great uh, event, D-Day, and I wanted to write about it. Go to Ball 9, read it. Secondly, to, yeah, and we'll talk about this later, I'll make this really quick. Pitching, uh, uh, pitching has become so over uh, analyzed, over spin rated, that there's a new way to pitch and it's the wrong way. I wrote about a pitching ninja, Nestor Cortez, and what makes him successful and other guys, and we're going to dig deep into that later on. Yes, definitely. Overcoached and undertaught nowadays. And we have a couple questions on pitching as we get to our mailbag here. You know, with that, I'll introduce our resident experts and get us going with our clubhouse segment. Like every show, we're going to begin at the beginning. We'll go to we come to the end, then stop. Bull, welcome back. Both you and Sal have killed it the first three weeks. I mean, the, the audience response to your responses to their questions have been well received and, and, and really spearhead our email uh, back. So we appreciate you guys. You're, you're hitting it out of the park. Um, we come back this week with Bull. We call him Bull affectionately. Longtime scout, 45 years in professional baseball, both as a player, a coach, and a scout, uh, a baseball tactician uh, to its finest degree. Bull, welcome back to the show. Great to be back, everybody. Yep, and, and we have also with us Sal Marinello. Sal is one of the most unique performance coaches that I've encountered uh, with athletes across the spectrum from youth to professional. He's able to use his approach thematically where he can hit on lacrosse, basketball, baseball, football, soccer, you name it. Uh, Sal, welcome back to the show. Great to be here. Wouldn't miss it. And I look forward to every, uh, every time we do this. Yes, you, you guys are phenomenal uh, with your responses and our interaction on the show and really drive this and has have driven the success and we appreciate it so so gentlemen we're killing it in the box office right now let's do it again this week um we're gonna ready we're getting ready to help the baseball world build a better baseball iq right now with our mailbag section so bull kevin kind of touched on it a little bit nestor cortez Artie from staten island new york wants to know why is nestor cortez having so much success for the new york yankees um so many reasons. I guess I could just say read Kevin's article, but you know, just the the observation uh, over the years in the game. Uh, Nestor Cortez, number one, has no fear. B 
big league hitters and good hitters sniff fear. Uh, to me, the majority of the pitchers now are scared to death to throw the ball over the plate, and Nestor Cortez is not. He has uh, extremely uh, big cojones. <laughs> He goes, you know, he, he has no fear to throw any pitch at any time. He works his butt off. Um, he pitches inside extremely well to both sides of the plate with late movement, uh, with a cutter, uh, a sinker, a changeup, a curveball, uh, a, a widening breaking ball that he sweeps the left-handed hitters. And he's very creative. He's not predictable. Uh, he gets the ball and attacks hitters. And Dave, you hit. Kevin, you hit. Sal, you probably hit in your life. When you had a pitcher that works quickly, he puts you on your heels. You're not digging in. Uh, you know, to me, guys who work quick and have no fear are very successful. Uh, I actually heard an interview with Tony Gonzalez, who's having a great year with the Dodgers. And they asked him on the radio yesterday what – what, what was his key to success? He said, I, I started challenging hitters more because they make out seven out of 10 times. I'm not afraid to throw the ball over the plate now. So, you know, and when you watch these guys who are really successful, whether their stuff is great or not great, or they're, uh, destined for the hall of fame, like Scherzer, uh, those guys have no fear. And they throw strikes, they command the ball, and they know how to pitch, and, and they compete. I like that philosophy. That, I mean, it's real. Seven out of ten times they're going to fail, even if they're the best. So that's a great mindset for a young pitcher. Kevin, you did a great article on it. What, what did you find out when you were doing your research on Nestor Cortez's success? Well, just like Bull said, that that's all the reasoning. And also, they pitch uh, – they pitch – they look at what the hitter's doing. They react to the hitter. They watch what's going on. I mean, it's become such a pre-programmed game. Uh, you know, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, the nerds are making the uh, the plan. And Nestor Cortez makes his plan pitch by pitch when he sees what's going on. And and that's what. And, and it's not just him. Michael Walker had a complete game the other day. These are not guys that – you know, Nestor's fastball is like, what, 90, 90 miles per hour, you know. So, uh, so I think he – I think uh, beyond challenging hitters, he makes the hitters. He goes. He attacks their weaknesses, and that's something young young pitchers really need to do. I, um, watch the hitter. Watch what he does uh, warming up, and you'll get a clue how to attack him. Bull said it last week so nice. Uh, I think it was a week or so ago, and I want to repeat it because it was so good. If you really don't know about a hitter, throw one pitch inside towards his hands, and how he reacts will show you what kind of hitter he is, and then you can have a plan of attack. And also one other thing quickly, the Yankees pitchers, the starting pitchers, basically had to go to management and say, hey, let us pitch longer. What's happening is the nerds want to make themselves the heroes instead of letting the pitchers be the heroes. And so starting pitchers have been turned into half-starting pitchers, and now we got an overrun bullpen, and the, the, the key to pitching is getting into the late innings getting to that lineup a third time. And uh, and really, it's in, the ball's in your hands. Take control. Command. Put your chin, like you said, on the shoulder. Get it over the target and uh, have, have some fun. And 
One last thing, Louis Tian. He's got a little Louis, Louis Tian on him. He changes, uh, you know, he changes the uh, rhythm of the hitter by hesitating or whatever. Be creative out there. Don't just be a robot. Great points, Kevin. I like that. It's a good combination uh, between between the two answers. Sal, we're going to go to you right now. Uh, we had a question about the kinetic chain. I know that we could deep dive that for hours. Right. But I was Dave from New York, and I should say this, our guest questions this week, last week we hit the youth, today we're hitting the, the dad generation. So these are coming from the dads that are either watching or coaching. So Dave from New York wants to know, could you explain a little bit about the kinetic chain and you know how much of the abuse of the kinetic chain or lack of knowledge of it is, do you think is resulting in some of the injuries we see now? Uh, that's a great question. And really to go back, really not to uh, overkill on Kevin's and Bull's point, but a lot of that lack of uh, confidence with where they're throwing the ball, whether it's inside, outside, changing things up is because most of these athletes lack the basic fundamental strength to drive the wide range of skill and control that's necessary. And this fits into that question about the kinetic chain. It, the kinetic chain is just a fancy way of saying the, the, toe, the, the big toe is connected to the shoulder and all points in between. Um, the big part, the big problem is I see it, and we're going to share uh, a paper that's a little wonky, but I think most people could get through it that describes in pretty good detail what happens during the pitching motion. Um, you've got people that are breaking down elements of this pitching motion and trying to quote strengthen these athletes so they can be better at um, the movement. And in my opinion, um, you. Look at the change in injuries in our lifetime. Now, I know we did have Tommy John injury early, but when Tommy John experienced his uh, blown elbow, and, and Kevin, you could, uh, and Bull, keep me on the right path if I'm off, the rotator cuff was much more common. Uh, that was the uh, bugaboo and, and the injuries that my generation in the 80s, uh, the 70s and 80s were familiar with, and then it, it morphed more into the elbow, and in the recent years, 10 years or so, we're seeing these forearm injuries. Uh, and real recent, we're seeing pec injuries and lat injuries. So what, what's happening is these strength coaches are tinkering with very specific um, systems here. And they're trying to manipulate things that can't be manipulated in isolation, which is resulting in these injuries. You know, when you realize that from the time... Um, uh, that basically from the time the, the pitcher throws the ball until the foot hits the, the foot hits the ground to the ball leaves his hand, it's 15 one hundredths of a second. Uh, and and it's, it happens too fast to analyze by the naked eye. There's no way you could go in the weight room and attempt to strengthen a muscle or muscle groups that's going to help throw the ball. So the kinetic chain is being disrupted by what's going on in the weight room. And there's a saying um, you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but I think it's time to throw out the strength coach with the weight room. That's that's a heavy statement there, Sal, because sometimes strength coaches do help players. Yeah, but Kevin, in the big picture, every every higher level guy, even high school, I would say from college on, those guys have all been handled by the experts, uh, whether it's the expert at the university, the expert at the professional level. And their performance is 
not only not getting better, it's getting worse. So you could make the case that what's being done to prepare these athletes is worse than doing nothing. Interesting. So, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I would agree. Uh, the And, and, I, I think all we have to do is look at the level of injuries. We have more injuries now than we've ever had, and we spend more time in the weight room than we do on the baseball field. And uh, <clears throat> the baseball movements are what's injuring the players because they're not they're not creating muscle memory with the proper baseball movements. Um, and you mentioned it last week. Guys don't run hard when they run. Guys don't run sprints anymore. Uh, then all of a sudden they hit a ground ball in the hole, they run a sprint, and they pull a hamstring, and they're out for six weeks. Um, you know, you talked about the oblique. You know, guys are trying to over-rotate and lift the ball in the air, and they're, and they're injuring obliques. Guys are trying to throw every pitch over 100 miles an hour. That's not normal. Um, these things are hurting players more, more than they're helping them. Yeah, and, and the spe- we talked early, I think it was our first podcast, in, in developing a program for an athlete, specificity is the one thing that has to be the utmost. And what, what happens in the weight room that not only looks like baseball, but happens at the speed that uh, a pitcher throws a pitch or a batter swings the bat? Not too much. You know, and, and again, not to you know, pick on any one person, but I think it's you have these guys with either pec strains right, which is your chest muscle, let's just, we'll, we'll keep it simple, or your lat muscle, which is the, at, the, at your back. So you have these guys injuring front and rear muscles that are responsible for stabilizing the shoulder as it's throwing. That tells you something's wrong and there's an imbalance. And this imbalance is being created and or made worse by what's going on in the weight room. So what, 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 what's the kid going to do then? How, how does the kid get better? And that can be either of you guys answer this. Well, we talked about it before. You, you take the 15-year-old kid who's hitting the ball 400 feet or throwing the ball. I don't know what's a good speed bull. You could tell me. I'm hearing crazy numbers, but they're just throwing fastballs. Well, what is the weight room going to do if that kid is already hitting the ball 400 feet and able to pitch – 90 miles an hour or 87 miles an hour. You just continue to do what, what allowed them to get to that point. They weren't lifting weights to get to that point. And if they were, ultimately that's going to be a negative because I can tell you stories that I've seen firsthand of these kind of kids. All the dads and all the coaches out there, and I had said it to Bull uh, on the side, if someone had the, the guts to do it, they would eliminate all strength training in the weight room and they'd go back to square one and reevaluate and reconstruct everything that they do in their athletic development. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And Kevin, I'll give you two examples of people that you've met. Um, Joe DiMaggio and Bob Feller. Look at their bodies. Look at the weights that they never lifted, but what they were able to accomplish on a major league baseball field. They were athletes. And Ted Williams. Ted, Ted, Ted Williams. He was not built like Aaron Judge, was he? No, he was. They called him the, the splendid splinter. He, he was, I mean, you know, baseball players 
didn't lift a ton of weights, you know, uh, I, but they, they went out and played baseball. Yes. No, I, I'm with you on that. And, and it's fun, you know, how I like to mention people. Like I remember calling Bob Feller when he was in his eighties and I was calling him for a story and he was, uh, you know, he he had just gotten done throwing a, a baseball against a barn door, you know, a barn, you know, so he still did baseball things, you know, basically decades after his career was over. And you got, you know, you guys have talked about all the lost art that goes with how you coach baseball. There's the lost art of how you prepare people for their uh, athletics. And, you know, not to go down this rabbit hole, but this is all tied back to the bodybuilding craze of the 70s when Arnold Schwarzenegger created this industry that bled into the sports world. And, and, and has, you know, I have said it to Kevin for 20, almost 25 years. The big scandal about the steroid era was not the steroids as much as it was the programs that became de rigueur for these athletes. They were based on, in bodybuilding because the juice came into the league from bodybuilders. And that has continued to destroy the game to this day. You know, Tom Verducci did a really good article on that back when the steroid thing broke. He said, you know, baseball kind of created this when they when they put a huge emphasis on weightlifting without any real supervision for the sport of baseball. Kids went home to gyms and they went with bodybuilders who were taking steroids and said, hey, how'd you do this year? I hit 15 home runs. Here, take this. You'll hit 30. Yeah. And then you tell a competitive professional athlete that who knows if he hits 30, he's going to make 25, 30 million dollars. You know, we created as an industry the whole whole buy into that craze, as you would say, because when I signed, we were told not to lift weights. Yeah, that I mean, went right and, up to the mid 90s. I mean, I, I quick question for all you guys with, with this one, and I don't know if I'm oversimplifying it, but as I came up as a player, I was taught if you want to get strong in the baseball movements, perform the baseball movements, and that'll make you organically stronger in those. All the other stuff was kind of a quick fix, like we're talking steroids, um, you know, we're talking improper movements. Uh, people are in just, there's such an inertia for immediate success that people often forget about the process and the development that goes along with being good, but... I'm in agreement. I think you, you want to get stronger in hitting, hit. You want to get better at throwing, throw. You know, there's no quick fix to it. Well, I want to throw a personal thing in here, and this is for this. I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. The uh, I became a really good hitter after working putting for a fence company and putting in fences, digging post holes. I you know I did dug hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of post holes over a summer while still playing. And by the next year, I got stronger. So there is some kind of, I do believe you can get stronger different ways with some base, non-baseball movements. You just got to be careful what you do. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move on to the, the third question to Kevin here. I know this has been a hot topic uh, on, of course, on uh, some of the major sports networks there. But the question comes from Tom in New Jersey, and it revolves around showboating. Um, we're seeing a lot more people right now with home runs, uh, with strikeouts as a pitcher, really celebrating or over-celebrating things, some appropriate, some inappropriate. Uh, I think we saw one yesterday in the college game. Kevin, the question goes to you. 
um, number one, how do you feel about the showboating and has it gone overboard right now in college and professional baseball? Well, you're not going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle. It's, it's um, you know, I've seen, again, I was at Little Leagues and here and there, and I've seen things, you know, I actually saw a video where there's walk-up music for a t-ball team. Um, I was at a tournament last weekend, and instead of just uh, having batting practice before the game, the these teams come and bring their own speakers, and they're playing music, and, you know, while, while games are going on. Just, I, I'm old school. And I think it's ridiculous. It's over the top. And, of course, uh, we had the issue with Tennessee's Jordan Beck uh, appeared. Well, didn't appear. He gave the finger to the outfielders running around uh, first base. I mean, it's too much. Come on. Act like you've been there before. It's okay to backflip if it's a huge game. I get it and things like that. But it's over the top. I think it's uh, the parents of letting it get out of control at all different levels. And the managers and the coaches uh, need to pull it back a little bit. Uh, but again, we're in the TikTok generation. Everything is uh, about that. And it's, it's, it's going to be that way. But I, I think you look really stupid, to be honest with you, when you do some of these things. Bull, are we seeing it, are we seeing it filter into a lot of the minor leagues right now where it should be maybe all about business, guys trying to climb the ladder, um, you know, doing the basic stuff. How, how far down is – I know Kevin mentioned a little bit in the youth game, so that's kind of kind of frightening. But are, are you seeing this when you're out there as well? Yeah, unfortunately, it's everywhere. Um, Dave, I think I shared with you the 17 inches speech, and we just keep lowering the bar and looking the other way. And unfortunately uh, – the genie's out of the bottle. The toothpaste is out of the tube. I don't think we're ever going to go back. Um, just, you know, an ounce of respect for your other teammate that you're playing or the team that you're playing against. You know, it, not every moment is a show you up moment. You know, a, naturally a walk off win. People get excited. You know, I, I remember when I signed, probably when you did, Dave, you know, uh, when everybody ran out after somebody hit a home run in rookie league in the second inning, <laughs> manager goes, oh, whoa, you're not, you're not in little league fellas. It's professional yeah. baseball. You know, you know, you have yep. a walk off win. That's a different thing. You know, it's, but this, you're playing a whole game. Don't give the other team, you know, ammunition to hate you more than they, than they may already hate you or whatever, you know, just go play the game and be, be respectful, but unfortunately, that's not being taught. Uh, the game's being taught just about individuals and individual basis, and we're losing the the team concept of the game. Yeah, if you say, how if you watch, how would you guys watch. handle that as a coach? How would you guys handle that as a coach? Um, I know uh, when my son was growing up, and I ran a uh, a scout team. You know, we. <laughs> There, we talked to them. Whenever anybody did anything extremely stupid on a field, they were pulled aside and they were talked to immediately. I watch in games now in professional baseball where guys don't run balls out that are dropped and they get thrown out on a pop-up that drops in the outfield because they didn't run hard. Nobody says a word to them. Anything goes. You don't want to hurt their feelings. Um 
at a certain point, you know, we need to be honest to people to teach them how to be better. Honesty is the most important thing and integrity, you know, teach them how to play the game the right way. Yeah, that's a great point. Also, I want to bring in the parents here. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a phrase I heard, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and teachers have to deal with this now. There used to be helicopter parents. Now there's, you know, hovering over their children all the time. Now there's, now there's lawnmower parents. In other words, they get on yeah, a big riding true. lawnmower and they, they ride the lawnmower in front of their kid and cut away all obstacles so it's a smooth sailing. Life isn't like that. You know, let your kid fail a little bit here and there. And as for how to act on a baseball field, I would say for the most part, look out Pete Alonzo and, uh, you know, he gets excited here and there. But And Aaron Judge, uh, you know, Aaron Judge hits a home run. Uh, you know, he puts his head down and runs and then looks out into the outfield. That's what he does. So uh, it can be done the right way. And I think people love to go the other way. Imagine if you were a good hitter now, hit home runs and just ran the bases with your head down a la Mickey Mantle. People would notice it would be something different. Without a doubt. Well, and I think there's a cultural, yeah, there's a cultural institutional element that is lacking. And, you know, I've been fortunate where I've coached, you know, and then the last six or seven years, everything from, you know, sixth grade to division one, everybody that I was involved with, we all felt that, that the stuff we were talking about, the showboarding was not part of it. When I coached youth teams, that was one of the first things I said in my parents' meeting that we're not going to tolerate any of that. As a matter of fact, we did not have trophies the one year. We did not have a team MVP, and we did not have some of these other things they give because the team and the boys, when they were in fifth and sixth grade, all decided uh, we would be no trophies unless we won the league. So it, it starts from up top, and you have to have help. And, you know, there's one line that – a coaching colleague of mine used, and I think I've shared it with you guys, you're either coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. There's no two ways about it. And that's how I try to treat almost everything I do. When I'm with my team, my thought is, what if one of my colleagues comes by and they see four kids at the end of the line going through the motions on warm-up? You know, so I'm like a pain in the neck about that stuff, but I really believe that's how you have to look at things. You're either coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. I like that phrase. Yeah, yeah I, I, Dave, one last point. Um, I remember my daughter played basketball out in California. They went CIF championships. And the, in the first parents meeting, the coach, who was a very successful coach, she said, listen, I just want to let all your parents know, if you ever come to me and complain about your child's playing time, whatever playing time that child is getting at that, that, that student is getting at that point will be cut in half. And then if you come back again and complain, that time will be cut in half. Said it in the first meeting, never had any parents come and complain. So it's up to the coaches to lay down the law early on. Yeah, I, you know, you, you had asked, Dave, you know, when I, when I ran our program, we had so many little pet peeves. Um, uh, our, our, we told our kids, your mom and dad aren't your caddies. They don't have to carry your equipment bag and pack your equipment bag and come and run your Gatorades. Um, your mom and dad are coming to watch you play. You take care of your equipment and you be responsible for it. Um, whatever dugout you walk into, you leave it the same way you found it. I, I would be appalled walking into some of the dugouts and see the garbage and trash that people would just leave. And I would say, no, 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 no. 
Um, our home field, we raked and we filled all the holes and we watered it. We filled the clay back into the mounds. We, we took care of the field because we were thankful that we were able to use the field. Um, people aren't teaching kids gratitude and respect and, um, you know, the end of every game, you shake the other team's hands and you look them in the eye. You don't look down. You're, you know, you don't go pout, uh, win or lose. Um, you don't talk trash when you win. Uh, you know, like Sal said, if you're, <laughs> if you're not coaching it, you're letting it go. You're, you're letting it happen. That's not a good thing. And I see too much of that. Great points. I like those. It goes back to an adage. I, when I first started coaching, I used to believe that players will do what you emphasize. And as I got older and maybe a little wiser, who knows, I now believe they'll do what you tolerate. And same with, same with your kids. And I think what we're all saying is kind of a cultural issue right now. It doesn't just start on the baseball field. It goes back to maybe making their bed at home. I mean, as far as cleaning the dugout or picking your stuff up. So, you know, great answers, guys. And we'll hit our last question before we move into the dugout. And I'll keep this one short because I think our guest coming on, we have Ted Kubiak, who won back-to-back-to-back World Series with the Oakland A's, tremendous infield coach. I think he can touch on this far greater than I can, so I'll keep it short. But I was asked, uh, Dave, this is from Dan in New York, wants me to follow up on my comments last week about infield play. His question is, I'm doing the prep work, or my son is doing the prep work. I still feel like he's getting a little handcuffed. Can you offer any additional advice as to how to prevent that? And, you know, Dan, I'll say without seeing video of it, it's hard, so I don't want to go too far into it. And I think that's a question we can pose to Ted as well. But I would say two things. One, I'll go back to, to Bull, one of your favorite coaches, happened to be a basketball coach. I heard, I heard you quote him quite a bit with John Wooden. I would say, Dan, tell your son first in any type of sport, whether it's fielding or hitting or whatever they're doing, be quick, but don't hurry. So he needs to find his own rhythm in the field. Um, second thing I'll say with fielding, and if you want to watch, go back and review my notes from the podcast prior to make sure the setup is right. But if you want to watch a guy that's at his best doing this, pull up YouTube videos of Cal Ripken fielding. His first move, my guess now, again, not seeing video, is that his first movement is towards the ball. And then that's causing him to be reactionary on the angle. I would say on his first move, make sure his first step is lateral, even if it's subtle, just to gather himself. Um, to now he'll have a better opportunity to create the angle. And he may not rush so much at the ends with his feet and hands to make the play that he's probably capable of making. So, but I think that's something Ted, Ted Kubiak can answer in our third segment today. Um, again, great infield coach, one of the best I've spoken to. Um, and we'll introduce him later. So, guys, great segment um, in the mailbag segment in the clubhouse. And, and here we move to our, our, next, our next segment. All right. Thanks, guys, for joining me in the dugout now. Uh, this is where, as, as we put in our first podcast, feels like we're giving everybody a seat right in that dugout seeing the game live. So, Kevin, usually we throw, we throw it to you to kind of hit on a, a main topic or something that's caught your eye or your ear over the course of the week and that you'd like to address with the four of us. So I'll throw it to you. Yeah, well, I think uh, to me the most important thing this week, and we've already touched on it, but I want to go, you know, I just want to mention it again. Play the game with a little, um, you know, maybe because of the Yogi story and everything else this week. Uh, play, play the game with pride. I, I want to see a little more pride in, in players when they're playing. I want to see a little more enthusiasm, um, but not over-the-top enthusiasm. So 
just enjoy the game, think the game, but when you're in there, just let it happen. And one, I got, I got, I want to say something too for T-ball and younger, youngest leagues, because we we did we deal with all spectrum. Sometimes we do a little, you know, we're into the major leagues. But I want to because I've seen so many uh, youth league games lately. Listen, I know a lot of you coaches out there. You know, you got a job full time and you're just volunteering. But one thing I want to see more of is move your feet. I, I asked a bunch of young kids because uh, I helped out on some different teams here and there, and, I, and I'm talking about young. So uh, I said, hey, how do you catch a baseball or a softball? And they all say, with your glove. And I, I, I counter with, no, you move your feet to the ball. This, this gets back to what Sal was saying. There's so Everybody's awkward when they're catching. And, and if you start doing that at a young age, it's going to count – it's going to counter through. It's going to carry through. I'm seeing kids on the field. They look like anteaters. They got the glove down, stuck on the ground. And and coaches are saying, this is softball ready. This is baseball ready. No, it's not. Get some rhythm. Get some movements. And uh, and coaches, you know, study a little bit so you get your kid. It's it's it's, it's athleticism. It's You're playing a game. You're not stuck. Okay? Same thing with swings. Get some rhythm in your swing. So I think my key word today is rhythm. Get a little rhythm in your game. No, I like that. It's kind of what probably they were asking a little bit more of with the fielding, and we can get with Ted on that. You had mentioned earlier, we had talked, I wish I could record the, the conversations we have off the air. Uh, you and Bull got into a good conversation, and Sal, Sal jumped in where people pitching and playing to their environment um, was something that you guys were watching a little bit, um, not just at the youth level, but at the pro level. Um, touch on that a little bit, um, and, and your, what, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll turn this one over to Bull quickly, but um, every day is different when you're on the field, you know? There might be yeah, different times of day you're playing. So when you're a player, make your own decisions. Don't go by what they said at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Especially, I, I want to point this towards major leaguers. It's a joke what I'm seeing because, uh, you know, there may be shadows. There may be this. There may be that. Pitch or play to your environment and move on from that point. So I think it all ties together, and I think Bull uh, – you know, Bull's out in the field every day seeing this stuff. I'd, I'd love to see what uh, hear what he's got to say about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll share something. I, I had a uh, 6 o'clock game where the shadow at home plate was really bad. The mound was in bright sunshine. The sun was shining brightly off of the hitter's backdrop. It was hard to see. Um, the starting pitcher threw two fastballs by the first hitter where he swung with the ball was in the glove. Hitter was hitting under 200 and uh, proceeded to throw four consecutive breaking balls. Welcome. And I just kind of shook my head and then threw a fastball by the number two hitter, threw two straight breaking balls to him to go two and one, and then hung a breaking ball for a two-run homer. Um, then the next hitter came up and he went two and zero with two consecutive breaking balls through a fastball by him, hung a breaking ball for a solo home run. <laughs> I just said, did anybody notice that, <laughs> that they're swinging with through your fastball because they can't see it right now because the shadows are so bad, you know, and there were like designs in the light towers where there was a little bit of sunlight and dark and light and dark and it's hard to see the ball hitting hard and and nobody made 
that adjustment. And, and it just blows my mind that nobody makes any adjustments watching games so many times. Well, you, 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 I just thought of something as you were talking, Bull. Uh, I remember talking to hitters, uh, generations of hitters, and I, I forget who the player hitter told me. He was a very good hitter, though. But he told me he hated hitting, and you're going to hate hitting against Randy Johnson anywhere, but he hated hitting against Randy Johnson at the Big A because there was a sign out there, uh, especially in day games, but even in night games, and he, he would come out of the sign, so he would he couldn't follow the ball. Yeah, so so what you're talking about is so important because that pitcher probably could have got through that inning. He could have used the environment to make it help him out, probably 12 pitches maybe, yeah. fastballs, get through the inning, and then they wonder why their pitch counts go up. There's absolutely no common sense now in baseball, and I think you hit on it. That, that's a fantastic point. Yeah, yeah, the, you know, and, and, you know, guys make adjustments, and, you, 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 you need to live in the moment. The game cannot be scripted at 2 o'clock, you know, like a football game where the, the head coach scripts the first 10 plays or whatever. But they usually adjust because the other team adjusts. So we're, we're scripting the starting pitcher, then all the relievers, and, and none of it makes any sense at all. Here's something uh, that we pointed out this past weekend to a group of hitters. We had some weather where we were at, some rainy weather, some cloudy weather, so the skies were changing quite a bit. And very simple fact, and and our young hitters and coaches out there can maybe pay attention to this. As the sky gets darker or lighter, and this goes to playing to your environment, as it goes from light to dark or dark to light, your pupils will dilate, um, which makes it just a little bit harder to see, a little bit harder to pick up. And I know I noticed my son did it. I called a timeout a couple times because the light changed. And I heard the umpire ask him, why did you keep calling timeout? Are you okay? He said, my eyes were dilating. The, 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 the clouds were changing, making it lighter and darker. And uh, good point to hitters. Little subtle things like that mean the difference. Um, I'm appalled at, and I go back to Sal's comment where he says, you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. It sounded like in that game you were watching, lots of people were allowing it to happen with many breaking balls, speeding the guy up when they couldn't catch the fastball. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, and it happens far too often. Um, you know, no, uh, I'm sure Nestor Perez works off of hitter reaction, which is the way to pitch, you know, and the way to call a game as a catcher. You know, you, you, you need to sense what the hitter's tr- trying to do against you and, and you counteract that by doing something different, so. No, and great points, great point, points. You know what? Uh, not sorry to cut in, but I see this all the time. Kids don't watch sports like kids used to. Um, and so there's that lack of just that sixth sense or whatever you want to refer to it as being that you miss that stuff. Like they're not observant. You know, like what was saying the thing about the shadows in front of home plate that, you know, that's something that, you know, people would have picked up that watch sports and get all those little nuances. But when you don't watch it and you're out there for yourself and everything's been about you, 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 and I see that in a lot of these youth sports, it's the most selfish environment. Um, and it, there's no team in any of this stuff anymore. Uh, and that, that, that infects everything. It's not just, you know, certain things. It's everything because it's what I'm going to do. You know, how many times have we seen these guys at the podium? telling us they're going to do what they do. Well, great. 
but what you do doesn't always work and is not always the best thing. It's all those things are related, I believe. So, Sal, real quick, when uh, what, what, do, what do people need to do to stay healthy in bad weather? Well, okay, so I think you have a bunch of things at play here. I, I don't know where you guys are, but I've seen more um, artificial surface baseball fields than I ever saw before. Um, also, the God, God forbid that there's rain in certain sports, they cancel practice and come inside. Uh, or they accommodate for other weather issues. I mean, you got to go out and play in crappy weather. You know, I, I'm a lacrosse major most of my work is with lacrosse people at this point the kids don't get that lacrosse is a winter sport when you play at the higher level because in college it starts in mid-january and goes through memorial day we're in high school we don't start in new jersey until march and you know you have mostly nice weather you have maybe three weeks so you have to get out there and just you know hit and and play in the elements now obviously if there's a lightning storm or something like that i'm not being crazy, but the fields take away a lot of um, natural uh, strengthening and getting used to your environment. Now, I can't tell you how many times I hear players complain about the grass field. Well, you know, it's harder to run on, it's harder to pick up a ground ball or field a ball, regardless of lacrosse or baseball. So that's another part of it. These fields have like kind of made everything very uh, homogenous. There's no you know, undulations, there's no adjustments you have to make. And I think that's probably a testament to, you know, people have, they, they want to train in optimal conditions and that's not how the game's played. Um, you know, it's not always 70 degrees, no breeze, you know, perfect, perfect sunshine, great hitting backgrounds. There's a lot of variables involved. So I, I think what I hear you saying, Sal, is, you know, you got to, and not, please, people don't misunderstand this phrase, you got to train on the other side of pain sometimes. And I'm not talking about physical pain. I'm talking about things that make you uncomfortable. So start getting comfortable being uncomfortable uh, when you're training. That'll make game time much, much better. So, guys, that was a great segment, um, you know, in the dugout. And, and as usual, uh, Bull and Sal killed it. And, and uh, Kevin, uh, just the way you bring it together is phenomenal. Uh, we, we appreciate you guys. We have Ted Kubiak coming on with us in a little bit. And, um Great mailbag segment, great in the dugout segment, and we will uh, we'll look forward to having you guys back next week. Thank you, guys.